0: good afternoon i'm your host hunter sagona and i am also your host sean
1: Kunis, and welcome to music speaks the podcast that is dedicated to how music impacts one person's life hunter and i believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music here is a musical quote for today a nice blend of prediction and surprise seem to be at the heart of the best art
0: by carlos So let us introduce today's guests on Music Speaks. Born and raised in Ithaca, New York, a town known as a cultural crossroads for the art, Michael Stern was surrounded by music from the very beginning of his life. His grandfather was a professor of music theory at Ithaca College and his grandmother was an elementary school music teacher for 32 years. So there existed an ever-present musical emphasis throughout his childhood. His musical journey began at age four when he began taking piano lessons with Debbie Martin at Ithaca College and continued through his sophomore year of high school. He later picked up the trumpet at age nine studying privately with Jane Dunnick and has turned that into his continuous musical outlet. Michael received his BM in music education and trumpet performance from Ithaca College in 2018, spending his time studying trumpet with Kim Dunnick and Mike Blutman. While at Ithaca College, he had the opportunity to spend a summer studying trumpet in Vienna with Rudy Amman. He has since earned his master's degree in trumpet performance, as well as chamber music from the University of Michigan, studying trumpet with Bill Campbell, Hunter Everly, Bob Sullivan, Tom Booth, and Jason Bergman. Throughout his education, Michael has enjoyed playing in numerous ensembles across a wide array of genres, including jazz ensembles, symphony orchestras, wind ensembles, baroque chamber orchestras, brass quintets, Latin bands, classic rock bands, and contemporary chamber ensembles. He has also appeared professionally with the Ann Arbor Symphony Orchestra. In the coming month, Michael will return to Ithaca College to pursue another master's degree in orchestral conducting with maestro Grant Cooper.
1: Mike Salamone is a teacher and educator located in Schenectady, New York, where he teaches middle school band and high school marching band in the Chalamont School District. He has a BM in music education from Ithaca College and has just finished his first summer of his master's program in music education at Ithaca College as well. Along with teaching, Mike enjoys freelancing in albany and Schenectady, and he's a huge Syracuse University basketball fan. Go Orange! So Sean, how do
0: you know the guests are today?
1: So they mentioned in their bios that they are from Ithaca College and I met these two gents in their freshman year, um, and and instantly clicked, and they are just two great people to, to know and to understand the climate of what's going on right now, and they're really creative and interesting, and I asked them separately to come on together because they have such a great dynamic as friends, and I thought that'd be really cool for us to discuss today in the podcast.
0: All right. Well, that's very exciting. So without further ado, let's welcome, let's welcome Michael and Mike to our podcast. All right. So welcome, Mike and Michael. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, The first question we want to ask is that obviously Sean probably knows this answer. But how do you both know each?
2: Oh man, that's a loaded question. Should I, <laughs> should I, should I take that, Michael, or or do you want to?
3: No, have at it. Have at All it. All right.
2: Um, well, we both went to Ithaca College for undergrad, um, and we met at orientation. Um, funny enough, the place where it seems you can never actually remember who anybody is. But um, <laughs> we stuck. Uh, I was a very and still am. Uh, uh, late to the party kind of person i kind of slept through some parts of orientation by accident in my dorm and found myself a bit lost uh not knowing how to get to the music school so i was late for course registration uh in the computer lab and when i walked in uh beth peterson bless her heart uh put me with michael because she knew michael you know knew the ithaca area he was from there he was comfortable. Um, so we had to share a computer and we were the only people who had to share a computer in the lab. And we had a bit of a disdain for each other actually in that <laughs> moment. Um, yeah, it was, it was not great, but uh, s- slowly over time, we started making fun of some other people and bonded over that and uh, turned Always out. Oh, it was a good we bonding were... activity. Oh, of course. And it turned out we were uh, you know, I was five foot three, he was six foot three. We were both trumpet players um, we both had the same name, Mike. Um, at the time, we both had the same ex-girlfriends with the same first name. It was just very uh, interesting. So uh, that's kind of where it all started, and it and it just grew from there. Like a match made in heaven.
3: Yeah, we we uh, we ended up being roommates for two years after that. We hung out like all freshman year, and then sophomore and junior year, we were roommates. Uh, and the the flame's still
0: alive. <laughs> Burning bright. <laughs> Sean, you're so my
4: question sure. So, 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 my question is to both of you if you could describe each other using one adjective, what will it be and, and what is it? And we'll start with Michael. <laughs>
3: uh, one adjective. Uh, first one that comes to mind probably rambunctious i think that really that really kind of ties everything together you know there's just a lot going on with mike all the time pretty unpredictable but also like predictably unpredictable so yeah i I, i'd go with rambunctious rambunctious is my answer okay mike
2: who came to my mind i mean the first one was lanky um (laughs) (laughs) but but i think that sums it all up (laughs) Um, I think I'd like to, like, do another one, but with a hyphen in it so we could still count it as one word, and it would be, like, uh, like, ridiculously talented. Don't want to, like, compliment him whatsoever. That's not my goal here. But it's just, it's just the, the, the truth of the matter is he's, like, good at almost anything related to music. Or if he's not good at it, he's really good at faking it. So, um, I mean yeah i i I wish i had more i I have a bag of what i'm good at but i wish i was as as big as michael sometimes for sure
4: i feel like i I feel like we all wish that sometimes we look at michael and we're like come on come on here we go uh big big (laughs) bag of stuff (laughs) (laughs) next question to hunter
0: um so i so like you both mentioned you know you're both trumpet players um i imagine that you've collaborated together but what's the most fulfilling collaboration that you've worked on together if you had to think about various things that you've done what would you say really you're like uh, we did a good job with that it was fulfilling
3: oh man we've done so many collabs honestly like so trumpet wise I feel like we haven't done <laughs> as much <laughs> together, <laughs> but uh, we did do we did a joint recital together uh, two and a half years ago. Now and that was that was a ton of fun to kind of have that like, like cap off our our undergrad experience. Um, that was a lot of fun to get to do that together. But I think at least for me, like my most fulfilling experiences have been when the two of us kind of step away from the trumpet and we make these medleys all the time and it usually happens pretty organically in a practice room. We just kind of start, I'll start playing the piano and Michael starts singing and then stuff just kind of comes out of it. And I think that that's incredibly fulfilling when you get to start making music so organically, there's no plan for it. There's no kind of structure to it, it just kind of happens. And I think that that's that's like just a very cool thing about music in general. And then to get to do it with your friends, you kind of work on the same wavelength And there's a lot of kind of unspoken uh, nature to it. You don't have to talk about what's going to happen next. Like Michael, just go into something and I'll just follow him. And we just kind of know where the other person's going. And I I think that that's a really, really cool experience to have. And so uh, there's not really one that sticks out in my mind completely because we've done it so often. But just Uh kind of knowing that we can do that is like very, very fulfilling to me
2: yeah I'll, I'll jump in there too i mean i i completely agree uh, i mean we played very little trumpet duets <laughs> you know I, I mean and and for us i would say that the trumpet was and maybe still is i don't know if michael will agree kind of work it's kind of like what we were pursuing yeah all work and no play isn't really a good time so uh people who know me and Michael know that we like to have a good time um, when we're not having to do work. So I think those, those medleys were definitely, a release for us, definitely a way for us to be musical, but kind of in that fun sense, rather than the all business got to get my degree sense.
3: Yeah, very Um, true.
0: You know, there's, there's plenty of that pressure. I imagine sometimes you have to just step back and say like, we need to do something else because like you said, not that you want to think of music as a job, but, everyone has the like you do have to get things done and if trumpets your primary then i imagine that stress you associate with that instrument so it's it's probably good to say let's do something else
3: yeah absolutely i think i think especially i think i mean sean you you might agree with this too but like when you go to music school you do it because you've loved playing your instrument all your life or you you've loved singing all your life you love basically doing what you do and then all of a sudden when you go to school for it that becomes your work you know and mm-hmm. i i think especially like that freshman and sophomore year area it's really difficult I, I struggled a ton It was like all of a sudden i'm not doing this for fun all of a sudden i'm working to compete with my peers with my friends i'm, I'm working to become better every single day and it really does become work and so to go back and be able to Find joy in music. I think is a really important experience for any music student to kind of
0: ground you and remind you why you're why you're trying to pursue what you're doing. Uh-huh. And you know, that's it's funny you mentioned that because, and this isn't one of the questions that we were going to ask, but it just sort of came to mind. Um, being co-host with Sean, a lot of you and you guys and some of his other guests have are from places like Ithaca, where, you know, it's a very music-intensive environment, and I have a double major, music and Italian, and I went to school really just for the basis of teaching, and I'm double certified in both, but the people that I went to school with, you know, they were very into music, obviously, but it seems to be a very different atmosphere. Yours, it seems to be more conservatory-esque, whereas mine was more, I will say based in the teaching realm, you know what I mean? People were more consumed with the other academics rather than sometimes the music itself. Um, Do you find you both, and this is a question for either of you, do you think that you enjoy having such a music music centric environment or do you miss the academic or rather the um, interdisciplinary aspect of it?
2: That's a, that's a great question, Hunter. And um, I I know Ithaca does have that conservatory vibe to it from the outside. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would think if you had to say, you know, what is the best part of Ithaca college, it would probably be the music education department. Mm -hmm. Um, It really is an education school. and, And there are a lot of other great things happening there. There are phenomenal performance faculty and phenomenal performance majors. But, um, there's a reason that, you know, most of the school is either music ed or music ed and performance. Um, yeah. So it's really what you make it when you're there. I've found, you know, there are some great professors who are willing to work with you for what, what you want. You know, if, if you're, you know, set out to be the best trumpet player in the world, they'll give you the tools to get there, you know, if you put the work in. But if you're set out to be a teacher, you know, some of my lessons, my senior year with, with Dr. Dunnick, it was just reviewing uh, method books for students. Uh He said, why do you like these books? Why don't you like these books? Let's talk about them. Could you ever use these books when you're teaching? And um, we started to get more into that because I told him, I said, you know, I'm not really serious about getting into professional trumpet playing too far. And I'd like to focus in on something that will apply to me more. So it's different for every person. I think you can have that conservatory experience, but education is really what Ithaca has in its bag I think and I think Michael could probably agree with that
3: yeah definitely and I think I think Mike and I too really benefited from each other kind of getting ourselves out of the school music there are definitely people who are constantly practicing Uh, neither of us were those people (laughs) (laughs) I mean some some of that to our own detriment but um, you live and you learn but I, I mean getting out of there and kind of just hanging out with people I think is very freeing for the mind um, I, I definitely did my best work after I took a little break um, and I mean same thing now I'm I, I just finished uh, two years at the University of Michigan and I my best experiences here were going to football games I became a bus driver you know things completely outside of music uh-huh. um, and that was kind of my distraction or my release that made me really enjoy where I am in life and kind of kept the fire alive for me to continue working on trumpet as much as I did.
0: Very cool. That's, I, I, I'm glad you guys specified that. Cause I feel like people don't really get what it means when you say like, I went to school for music. They, they sort of just all lump it together. They don't realize that there is a distinction. There can be crossover, but like, uh, like you said, Mike, you know, people can choose what direction they wanna go in and hopefully you know, you have good faculty to help you do it. Um, but obviously we all go to school for that because we enjoy the music field, whatever aspect it is that you choose to take. Um, and in that vein, because we all like music, Sean's next question is about music.
4: So I've been asking this question a lot to my previous guest because I really have sort of found an interest in trying to gauge them whether like how interested they are in trying to figure out like where their origins are and my question for you guys individually are if you had to talk to any artist slash composer slash author slash writer slash producer or director who would it be what would you ask them and where would you take them and what would you eat slash drink with them
0: food's important guys
3: food is very important in this scenario Jeez, this is a uh... That's a serious question. Oh, I'm getting a parking ticket right now. That's a bummer. <laughs> huh.
0: I like your your calmness about it.
3: Yeah. Well, oh, it's not really anything I can do now. That that sucks. Wow.
2: Well, uh, I'll, I'll field the question. Um, clearly, Michael's you know somewhere else right now. But that's okay. That's okay. Um, I I would. And 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 Michael would definitely think this is a good idea. I think, and I would want him to be at this meal, um, but I would want to have a meal with uh, Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, um, University of Michigan graduates, by the way, go blue. Um, but uh, they uh, just have such great writing, and and honestly, not to insult them whatsoever, but most of the writing sounds exactly the same. But I love the way it sounds, so it's fine with me. You know, I I love all of their soundtracks. Um, and I don't know necessarily if I'd have anything to ask them. I am not any sort of composer. I have I have nothing to, to really gain from them, I don't think, in that sense. I just would love to pick their brains, particularly about Dear Evan Hansen, which is one of my favorite shows out there. So, um, And I would want Michael to be there, too, because he could probably actually benefit from some of the things they say. I just would think it would be a fun experience. Oh, what are we going to eat and drink? Yeah. Um, Applebee's Half-Apps. Probably. Um, and whatever the $1 drink of the month is.
3: Sounds like a water. <laughs> I, can't, I can't handle those $1 drinks. Those just You can feel the cavities forming in your teeth. But shout out to Applebee's. Sponsor me.
4: What about you, Michael? What would you say is uh, the artist who you want to meet up with?
3: Man... I, I truly would love a conversation with uh, Bench Pace and Justin Paul. I think that that would be that be just fascinating. Um, there's so many people I'd love to talk to, but I'd I'd love to spend like two hours with Leonard Bernstein if he were still alive. I just I have so much respect for him doing things his own way and being so great at it. And I'm I'm really fascinated by kind of trailblazers in the music industry um and people who kind of didn't necessarily stick to the status quo but really did it their own way and um had a very unique voice in music um just because I, i think that that's a very difficult thing to do and so the people who are able to do that have a ton of confidence have a ton of resolve um and just really i think understand like a certain completeness of music that i i'm sure that i haven't reached yet um and just understanding like every single note that every single person plays um both when they're composing as well as when they're conducting um so i think i think some time with leonard bernstein will be pretty cool um as far as what we would drink and eat i'd love to get like a new york city street hot dog that's just like such a relaxed environment You know, like just walk around New York City and eat a hot dog. I think that that'd be, that'd make me feel more comfortable talking to someone so great. Like if it were a fancy meal, I think I'd be kind of stressed out and like try to be very proper. And I might be more focused on myself and like how I'm handling myself than actually listen to him. So I think a relaxed environment would be cool.
4: So guys, we're going to take a quick break. But I do want to mention that we are on Instagram and on Twitter. For our Instagram, we are... Uh, music speaks underscore podcast and our twitter is at music speaks underscore pod uh we are going to take a quick break and we'll be back with your playlist so don't go anywhere and we're back with Mike and Michael, and the first song on their playlist is "Sweet Caroline." Neil Diamond. Uh, I know this is a close song for both of you. Uh, where did the interest of this song begin for both of you? Maybe Michael, you want to start this?
3: Yeah, I think Mike and I, in general, are kind of attracted to songs <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that allow us to. Um, well, at least allow me to get out of my element a bit. And Sweet Caroline's one of those songs that whenever it comes on, everybody just starts screaming. And I just get excited in that environment. It's, uh, it kind of like breaks me out of my shell a little bit. I'm a, I'm a pretty introverted person. um, So when that comes on, I love to kind of let loose a little bit. Plus I'm a huge Red Sox fan. So uh, as you can see by my shirt right now, go Sox. <laughs> uh, they lost last night to the Yankees and a real heartbreaker, but that's okay. Can't win them all. But anyway, no, I I, I think that, that uh, that's always been a, a great song for us. And whenever it came on, we'd always sing along and sing the stupid background parts. Um, oh, absolutely. But a, a lot of good memories. We've incorporated that into a couple medleys.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I want to throw out a memory to the, the Binghamton uh, b Myths or the Rumble yeah. Ponies, as they're now known. Um, we used to go to some of those minor league games uh, for fun with Alex Miller and... Um, I don't know, I just have memories of singing that song at those games and eating chicken speedies and trying to catch baseballs. And it's, it's, you know, minor league baseball is probably one of the best ports on earth to see live.
4: So my next question for you guys is, um, I think Manuel Diamond has a classic American sound. Um, We were gonna talk about God Bless the USA later on. And Mike, that was in your playlist uh, for the last time that you were here. So what about classic American music do you guys vibe with? Let me start with Mike this time.
2: That's a really good question. Um, the funny thing is, I don't know that I vibe with much other music. I just love those two themed songs. Like I, if you had to go through my Spotify of things I've listened to today, you'd find nothing like that other than those two songs. So for me, it's it's really situational, like, you know, uh, sweet caroline is the scream your face off song and the baseball song and god bless the usa is the 4th of july slash anytime you want to hear a rockin five four bar song and that you can also just scream and we could talk about that when we get there but um those are just those are just fun songs to me and not necessarily a genre i associate with just something that uh i like because it mixes up the shuffle of what i'm normally listening to what about you mike
3: yeah, I, I completely agree with that. That Those are kind of, I don't listen to much other Neil Diamond or like Bruce Springsteen or kind of that, that mid Americana type stuff. Um, but I, they, those two songs also take me back a lot to like my childhood and like family barbecues on 4th of July. And I have just great memories of being with my family and those songs would come on. And so it kind of always, whenever I hear those songs, it kind of takes me back to like just simple summer times, like, watching baseball with my dad or eating a hamburger, just really comfortable, good family memories associated with those songs. So I, I think that that's why I like it so much.
4: I want to talk about the lyrics because I think it's worth knowing that many people know them, but maybe um, we don't really talk about them enough. Um, the beginning of the lyrics go, where it began, I can't begin to knowing, but then I know it's, st- it's growing strong, was in the spring and spring became the summer. Who do you who'd have believed you come along? So uh, it's, such, it's such an interesting thing because I mean, like the, the first sentence I think is grammatically wrong, but um, I, I, th- I think it's like obviously very interesting. What do you guys take away from that? Maybe I'm gonna start with Michael on this one.
3: <laughs> Man, as you were reading those lyrics, I gotta admit, I felt like I'd never heard them before in my life. <laughs> usually, usually when Sweet Caroline comes on, I like stumble through the first verse it just like so amped up for the chorus um i don't think i've ever actually listened to the, to the to the opening lyrics like if you asked me to sing sweet caroline right now i could not sing you any of the verses but uh the chorus i i give you a, a rip-roaring rendition of it so read read me that read me like the first two lines of lyrics where it began where it began i can't begin to knowing but then i know it's growing strong me what I think that means. Yeah, yeah. What do you think that means? I mean, I, you could even put it in the context of our friendship. I'll use some some little analogies here. You know, like, you don't know really where it came from. You don't know how it started. Or like you could talk about like loving somebody. Um, you don't really think about how it started. You just realize that like, kind of they were always there, and like your love's growing stronger every day. That's mm-hmm. my interpretation. Have at it, Mike.
2: I mean, that was a great interpretation. I don't know if anyone could do a better one. But the one thing I do love about uh, the beginning of that song is uh, when he goes, but then I know it's going strong. And he drops down really low. And Michael can do that, but I can't. And uh, I always try and do it. And it's just a little funny laughing point. So I will say that time all right all right i will say you know it is a it is a uh a classic song but again like michael said i've never really interpreted the lyrics i've gotten to the scream shout part and i've screamed and shouted
0: (laughs) hunter who doesn't like the bum 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 you know i feel like everyone just enjoys doing that it gets everyone hyped um, but your next choice on the list is Go the Distance from Hercules, correct? And, you know, I feel like Hercules, it's highly underrated. And it it's a really, a for, sometimes it's a forgotten work. Um, before we talk about the song, what made you choose this, this particular work, Hercules? Or was it the song?
3: It was... It, uh... It was exclusively the song. Ah. Uh, really couldn't tell you much about Hercules. Really couldn't tell you much about the song. Again, uh, this song actually kind of came into our repertoire. Uh, Mike, was it the? Was that kind of the first medley we ever made?
2: That was with uh, the Dirty Mike and the Boys. Thing. Yeah,
3: that that was kind of. I think that was kind of the beginning of our medley days. Um, it took us much longer to do that one than it does now, but uh, we. When that was sophomore year. We were in a contemporary ensembles class and we were paired, we had a group. It was uh, Mike and me, uh, plus Josiah Spellman. Uh, it was Oliver's in that group, right? Yep, Oliver Scott and uh, Ken O'Rourke. Great group of guys to kind of jam with. And basically we had to create um, a work using not our own instruments, basically. And we were like, oh, well, obviously we should do a Disney medley. Everybody loves Disney. Everybody loves medleys. So we were doing that and Go the Distance got thrown in there. And we had a ton of fun with it. It's like a beautiful ballad that you can really mess around with a lot, kind of reharmonize, yeah. do a lot of riffs over. So that's a ton of fun. Um, so we used it in that. And then <laughs> it's a, for some reason it kind of always just became like a recurring joke between Mike and me whenever we start making new medleys i'll always like start throwing and go the distance for no particular reason <laughs> and it always just kind of like breaks the ice softens the mood a little bit and we can kind of laugh about something and then the whole like experience of writing a medley is much more relaxed and i think becomes more organic that way
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah i agree i mean i'll say that all of that's true all of the history of of our song is true i think that The great part about that song is that you know when you're doing Sweet Caroline no one really knows what they're saying they're just shouting but this song I think anyone can hear it very clearly when you get to the chorus about what's going on and what it really means and it can mean something different for everyone so um, I think people I mean I know me when I when I sing the song or when I've heard this song sung I almost get goosebumps like while I'm hearing it because whatever I'm thinking of at the time it doesn't necessarily have to be one particular feeling or involve one particular situation but uh, I feel like everyone can relate to it in some sort of way so that's why it's so impactful and who doesn't love a power ballad you know so oh
0: yeah yeah the emotions high and you know it but it's but not always you know because it's got that sweet part of the song it's, it's, a, it's a good choice what did you pair it with when you did the medley
3: I was actually just thinking about that. so in the Disney medley we did. Oh man, what did that go into, Mike? Do you remember? Um, feel like I be.
2: <laughs> That's right. Oh, <laughs> under the sea. Okay.
3: Yep, we went to under the sea, and then the second time we used it in a medley uh, was at SMA one year, um, and that went into went right into uh, Seven Years by Lucas Graham.
0: Okay, interesting. You know, it's got that—that that not soulful. Thing. That, that's not what I'm trying to say. But I—I I think it's a good choice. I—I I could see that going into it. Very cool. Well, you know, Disney, like you said, everyone likes Disney. They've done a lot of you know great works, especially in the Renaissance. You know, when like Sean and I and you and you guys too um, were being born. That whole era was great for them. Um, and recently, those shows have been adapted to Broadway. A, a lot of them, and. They've been relatively successful. And the next song, it's not Disney, but it is Broadway. So, so, uh, Sean, back to you.
4: I don't think it's Broadway Hunter, but I think it it is God Bless America by uh, Lee Greenwood. And Michael, this was actually on your plate.
0: I was looking at the wrong one. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) I was two songs ahead.
4: That's okay. That's all right. Um, We're going to check out God Bless America, uh, some Lee Greenwood. Michael, you had put this on your playlist when we did our podcast maybe two months back. Um, Does it still hold a dear
3: place in your heart? Quick correction. It is God Bless the USA. Very different from God Bless America. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay.
0: Irving Berlin.
3: Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, I think it'll always hold a special place in my heart. I think I told the story last time I was on, um, but I, I don't remember for sure. So if I did not, but, uh, I had a, uh, one of those CD Walkmans when I was young and I had a a kid CD of patriotic songs and it had, it started with like the national anthem and then had uh, stuff like God bless America. I think that was track seven. Um, you know, others like patriotic songs, the Americana, all that sort of stuff. But the last track on it, track 10, was uh, Lee Greenwood's God Bless USA. And so I was very young and I just loved how the song would make me feel. Like it would give me goosebumps every time. And this was before I had any musical training. um, I just really loved the sound of it. And so I listened to it over and over and over. And honestly, like I I burned out that Walkman listening to Lee Greenwood's God Bless USA. so i i really couldn't tell you what it is about it i've actually gone back now and listened to lee greenwood's version um because mike and i got a uh got a cd it was like a recruitment cd from uh the u.s army field band and they did a recording of it which was like a full band recording which is a great arrangement um and i we started listening to that so much that i actually got used to that and i felt like I don't necessarily like League Greenwoods as much anymore, but it still has a special place in my heart. It's just kind of a thinner texture and a little more um a little more country music style. The the Army field band one is much more full and uh there's a bit more flair to it. But absolutely great tune, great lyrics. Also the US Army field band kind of modified the lyrics a little bit. Um, to fit what America is today a bit better. And I, I like their lyrics better than Lee Greenwood's, but different times. So I'm, I'm glad to see that we progressed a bit over the years, but great tune, great 5-4 bar in the last course. can't go wrong.
2: Yeah, Mark. absolutely. For me, it was uh, my earliest memories of this tune where um, we used to sing them in like second grade or, or first grade assemblies on Veterans Day, and stuff like that. So um, we had to like memorize them. It was part of what we had to do in music class or whatever. And and it's funny, you know, I, I feel like I kind of didn't listen to that song for a few years and every time I've heard it years later, I've, I've still remembered it. You know, it's funny how you can ingrain things so well when you're young. Um, so that it brought back that memory for me. And of course that 5-4 bar is, is unreal it is one of our our absolute favorite musical moments that have ever existed so um just another fun song like sweet caroline to to shout with your friends sometimes
4: Hmm. switching gears and now moving in a different direction i'll pop it over to hunter again Mm
0: -hmm. uh so your next song is the good old or just good old days by macklemore and it was released in 2017, uh, and I believe it's featuring Kesha, if I'm not wrong. Um, Why would you pick this song in particular? Do you have an, a, a, do you have like an affinity for Kesha or for Macklemore, or what? What went into the thought process here?
2: Uh, I could take it uh, to start. Um, no, we don't have an affinity to either of those artists at all, for sure. I could tell um, from
0: the Cheshire cat grins on your faces.
2: Yeah, I mean well i i I kind of like Macklemore. I think Macklemore is pretty talented um but I'm not like a huge Kesha fan or anything uh basically this song is all about the meeting you know um mm. it's 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 definitely a song about uh kind of reflecting on 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 good parts of your past um and uh we've used it in I've used it in videos and and stuff like commemorating my time at Ithaca I, we used it in a medley before um specifically at the Summer Music Academy where we worked for several years. Um, And, you know, singing a song like that after the two weeks of camp for high school students, they kind of start to feel that feeling of, um, you know, these are some of the really good times in my life. And you can tell that they already conceptualize that. I like that that song forces you to kind of stop and reflect about um, some of your good experiences, because I think often um, we don't know uh, when the good times were until they're far gone to Uh. Somewhat, quote, Michael Scott from The Office.
3: <laughs> I, I will add to that. Uh, most of the songs on this list, just a disclaimer, <laughs> don't have that much meaning to us individually. They're just kind of songs that have... And, just become kind of inside jokes as part of our uh-huh. friendship i mean good old days is also one of those songs like go the distance it just kind of keeps popping up in our medleys every <laughs> once in a while because it's it's a nice song and it makes people feel good um and there's songs that like on the surface really don't mean that much <laughs> but like good old days is like a song i'll always associate with mike because of that kind of inside joke and the fact that it always pops up uh when we're making music together
0: mm-hmm uh-huh. I and mean, you know, sometimes shared experiences, even though the the actual song might not mean much, it's a symbol of the shared experience, right? And so that I think people feel deeply about stuff like that, it, even if it's something as silly as like I don't know, a, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like uh, I don't know, a food. Like you remember eating something at a certain moment and. You maybe didn't like it all that much, but you remember eating it at this certain time with somebody. And that's why it's significant. I get the feeling it it seems like something like that. So, um, Well, I had already used up my very good transition earlier to get to the next song. So I'm not going to make myself look like more of a fool. So we'll just move on to the next song, which Sean, you could take it away.
4: So the next song is Waving Through a Window from Dear Evan Hansen, sung by Ben Platt. And, uh, Mike, we actually talked about this song when you came on the podcast. Uh, And I think it's interesting because we both got to see it live, which is really cool. My question now to Michael, have
3: you gotten to see it at all yet? I actually have never seen the show. Uh, I've listened to every single song hundreds of times, uh, but I've never seen the show. Okay, okay. Um, and
4: let's go back to Mike. Uh, we've talked about this before. The song holds a very sort of like personal introspective feeling because the kid in question really doesn't know if he's being understood or being heard at all. Um, what sort of resonates to you with this song?
2: Um, I mean, again, I, I feel bad because I feel like I'm not answering that question specifically because I don't necessarily know that that's what resonates with me. Um, for me, when I first listened to Dear Evan Hansen, of course, I didn't know the story. I didn't understand the story. And if you listen to the soundtrack, you don't totally get it all. Um But I was like, wow, this guy can really sing. Ben Platt was amazing. And I was just over the moon, like listening to this guy, uh, the high notes he could sing and, and how consistent he was. And then, you know, I watched uh, a recording that I will not claim to be illegal or legal on the internet in which I watched uh, a full production of it with Ben Platt and I was amazed at how um identical he sounded to the recording um throughout the whole show his voice is just absurd and I can't believe he held on to it for his whole run of that show um for me you know that was such it's it's the showstopper that's that's the song that everyone knows from the show and um when I was senior, Michael and I were seniors, we did a joint recital and we kind of wanted to put an encore on the end where we did something that we loved to do rather than what was considered our work. So um, Michael played piano and I sang and we had some other friends with us. Dan Monti was on drum set and uh, who else we have? John Borle was playing guitar. Uh, Ryan, Ryan, Petriello Ryan Petriello on bass? Yeah. Yep. Um, and then we also had a full choir. Um, of some of our friends that were, you know, in the choral department that did some backgrounds for us. And there was a whole light show on Ford Hall stage that Michael put together. So it was kind of like a culmination of our artistic creativity rather than our, what we've been grinding to do for the last four years. And and it was sort of, I think a gift to ourselves rather than a gift to our audience to, to have that experience that we might not ever get to do um, for an audience of that size. And, um, where we would have complete control over everything, so um, it was kind of our moment to to have some fun, and, and it and it was fun. It was one of definitely one of my most rewarding uh, performances I've had.
0: Sure, sounds like quite
3: the spectacle.
4: And and just like you said, Hunter, and moving back into Mike's point, um, Mike, we had a friend of mine, Matt Bader, come on, and he's an actor who did a lot of like 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 what you mentioned. We have showstoppers. He's been involved in a lot of showstoppers, and I think especially in that moment where you're like the focal center of the, like the entire stage, how did it feel?
2: It was uh, a feeling that I'm, that I'm, that I'm aware of. I mean, I, I did theater in high school, you know, and I had like a lead in my one of the leads in my senior year. So I was like not uncomfortable with that position. Um, but it felt it felt good because I think it was the most the most focused in position I've ever been in the most in the spotlight sort of thing, because if I looked to my left and my right there was nobody there. Um, the band was there behind me, but I kind of felt like I was a little bit out on an island. Um, but the feeling that I was experiencing while performing didn't have me uncomfortable. It, it had me feel like I was kind of riding a wave. Like it was there was some adrenaline but it was very positive um it was a great feeling and um a feeling I I, I truly do believe if I had gotten into theater a little bit earlier that might have been something I would have pursued a little bit harder because that is a feeling unlike anything else that I've experienced but um based upon my situation I think I I did everything I should have done and I'm still happy with my choices but um there's nothing like that feeling out there
4: so Michael, now looking at Mike, when you were in the sort of playing in the pit behind him, what
3: was that moment like for you? It was awesome. It was incredibly rewarding for me. I've always, I, I have these huge visions, um, both musically and like production wise that I love to see happen, but I, I don't like to be the one in the spotlight, which I think is why our friendship has been so great. Mike loves the spotlight and I love creating that moment. Um, and so to have someone where, like, I can make my vision happen and then kind of step back and see it all come together through Mike's hard work is just awesome to me. And so to get to do all that, I mean, there was so much work that went into that production. I, I wrote, like, the background arrangement for the choir. We had to schedule rehearsals for, I mean, we had, like, 30 people backing us up. Um, I had to schedule rehearsals around other people's schedules um, and then teach all that stuff. Um, And then Mike did like, it wasn't real choreography, but like movement um, on the stage. So Mike was doing all that. I had to program all the lighting. I created a cue book that our good friend Jeff uh, ran through for us. So he was actually following along on the score and looking at lighting cues on a lighting board that is not designed for anything like that whatsoever. (laughs) Um, so it was just, there's so much that went into it, not to mention like rehearsals with the band, making sure we were tight, making sure everything was together. Um, and then being able to just drop Mike in there and have it like sound the way it did is just so cool to me to be able to sit back and kind of see your creation come to life a little bit. And that's what I love about like doing medleys with Mike. Um, we put so much work into creating these transitions and reharmonizing stuff and making it interesting, but then making it sound effortless. And Mike is just such a great frontman for that kind of thing. Uh, it makes my experience that much better to have it come out with a high quality. And on that
4: good note, we're going to take a quick break, but we will come right back and we're going to check out some Elsa's. Uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: All right, and we're back with the second half of Mike and Michael's playlist. So the first one up in this half is Elsa's procession to the cathedral. And it seems like an odd choice with the rest of the songs that you chose, but you know, Wagner, he's controversial historically, but also really historically changed his music forever. Um, and I think his orchestrations are incredible, even though I'm not a fan of the big, I'm not a big fan of like the whole woman in Viking helmet belting and shattering glass on stage type thing. Um but I assume there's a story to go along with this. So uh what made you choose it?
3: There's a there's a great story that goes along with this one. Um again, more about our own personal experiences than anything else. A fantastic piece of music. Say what you will about Wagner. I I won't get into that. Um but uh, the piece of music itself is just so moving and it's just a slow build as Elsa makes her way to the cathedral, starts off very gentle, very soft, very beautiful, and just grows and grows and grows with a massive ending that'll make your face bleed in the best possible way. Um, but so so our, our own personal story from this that's made it so special to us is uh, it, was our, it was our junior year and uh, wind ensemble was doing this and so i was sitting on stage playing my part but then uh the conductor of the wind ensemble dr hughes wanted to have surround sound so he included the concert band um up both sides of the hall in Ford hall as well as across the back and so it was just this it was way too many people to be playing wind instruments in that space i mean it was just it was just kind of foolish but i I love foolish things like that that Uh are so overdone it just becomes thrilling um and so so i was sitting basically in the middle of the stage and mike was standing basically directly opposite me at the very back of the hall um and there's about eight bars from the end there's this high c uh in the in the first trumpet part that you just kind of wail on after <laughs> already hurting your face previously. Um, and it's kind of the, f- the last moment of tension before the final coda resolution. Wow. Um, and so we hit that high C in the concert and it was always great in rehearsal. It was, it was awesome, but we hit the high C in the concert. And like, I could feel myself like starting to get chills. Like it was just a really powerful moment. And I look past Dr. Hughes to the back of the hall and I see Mike with his hand in the air, like pointing at me, like like we got this together as he's playing that high C2. And I, I could like feel tears like welling up in my eyes. It was the strangest, like most emotional experience for me. But it's, it's become like a joke for us now, whenever we get to that part, someone always raises a hand um, to, to remember that moment, but it was, it was just very cool. And kind of one of those moments that we shared across like a couple hundred people sitting, sitting in the audience and they had no idea it happened. Like it was kind of just for us. So Mm -hmm. that was, that was a very cool experience.
2: My favorite part about that too, is if you were to go on to, uh, Ithaca's website and go to their live streaming link, you can watch that performance. And if you watch that performance, they actually have the cameras panning around the audience so you can see everything and you can see me throw the finger (laughs) up at the at that moment uh and then it like cuts right off into another scene so um there is video proof of the incident
0: that's really funny i mean you know it it sounds so silly to people who who haven't experienced it in order like it sounds odd to get so caught up in a moment like that for people who've never experienced a moment like that i mean Sean and I actually—I'm Sean. I'm sure you've played this other times before, but we actually played it together in uh, summer band uh, many years ago, and it was like—I remember thinking it was one of the most profound experiences of playing I had ever had up to that point. There's something about the piece; it's just so intense emotionally. Um, it, the build and then the, the big ending, which sort of then dies off. It's—it I could see how both of you in that moment would be so caught up in it. And when you achieve the note and then you just sort of connect with someone who's feeling the same way, I totally get it. Sean, I'm sure you've had experiences like that as well.
4: Sure. Absolutely. Um, I think in that vein, I think we should move on to the next song because the next song sort of follows along with that sort of same mentality that Hunter was mentioning. The next song we're listening to is Requiem, uh, by, uh, Eliza Gilkitson, I think, but arranged by Craig Hella Johnson, I want to mention to our listeners that uh, singer songwriter Eliza Gilkison wrote Requiem as a song of grief following the Asian tsunami tsunami in uh, December two thousand four and the song found a renewed audience after Hurricane Katrina devastated the Gulf Coast region. Uh, this setting is written by Cosperari conductor Craig Hella Johnson and people really found it's really profound and emotional impact on choral literature. Um, Let me ask you this. Uh, We have, we all have been in choirs before. I mean, I can mention, maybe not Hunter, but uh, I would say like (laughs) an Ithaca college choruses we've, we've all had that experience together in that way. And um, one of my, one of my favorite stories to tell is that uh, we were all up for a solo part in Gaudete I'm not sure you guys remember that part. <laughs> and it was shot him only you knew. <laughs> we had it was up against you guys and Max Kesling. And I was so worried that you guys were gonna get it. And then um but then Dr. Fox was like, Okay, okay, you you all can you both can do it. And I'm like, Okay, all right, <laughs> we had to do it like a few times to find out. He was doing it, but you guys were, were so kick-ass with
3: that sort of like um, rehearsal. And, we, right? almost, we almost put that on the list today just for that story. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was such,
4: it was such a great memory, I think, for me because I remember being so stressed out being like, oh, we had to do it again after you guys have done it before. So um, I wanted to talk about that. But I digress. I want to go back to the song. Um, how, did, how were you both introduced to the song? Let's start with Mike this time.
2: Um, so Michael may be able to articulate this better, but I will, I will give it a shot. Um, we were working at the Summer Music Academy, which is how most stories start uh, for us involving music. But um, Kristen Zariski, who is the choral director over at uh, Ithaca High School and one of Michael's mentors, uh, heck, I'll even take her as one of mine because she's literally amazing. If, if, you know If you're ever looking for someone to help you with choral music in general, hit that lady up, she's amazing. Um, But uh, she was uh, running the chorus that year at the Summer Music Academy, and the Summer Music Academy is famous for their giant music videos. Um, But for whatever reason that year, there wasn't one in the cards, and Kristen wanted to make an experience uh, for the students and and give them something, so there wasn't nothing. And uh, we actually filmed a 3D video of uh, students, where we were down by the stairs, uh, by the fountains, overlooking the lake and there was like a 360 view of the students singing all around a circle. Um with her conducting in the middle. Um and it was it was I was originally introduced to it as one of the choral pieces in our folder that we were gonna sing, you know. And when I when I see that, you know, who knows in my mind I'm like this could be junk, this could be good. Um but it was extremely moving. Um and I totally see why you know it was dedicated to those who were uh, caught up in those devastations in the world, it, it's just very sombering music. It, um, when I listen to it, I can't help but do anything except listen to it. I, my thoughts don't wander. I just, I just get locked into it. Um, so I'm sure Michael can articulate that better. But that's that's kind of where it started for me.
3: Yeah, we we shared that experience at the Summer Music Academy, and it was. Uh, for whatever reason, it was just kind of a a difficult year, and it it felt you could kind of feel the students. There was just kind of a, this internal struggle. It was the summer, I believe, of twenty sixteen, um, and it was while we were working on this piece. Uh, one of the evenings prior to rehearsal, uh, the bombings in Nice, France, took place. Um, and it kind of rocked the Western world a lot. It was um, a large display of terrorism basically um, in the Western world, which we hadn't really experienced as much of at the time. So that kind of caught everybody off guard and we came to rehearsal the next morning. And I, I, those experiences where you're in rehearsal but you're talking about so much more than music can be really moving. You're talking about life. You're talking about the world. You're talking about our place in the world and how we function. Um, and Kristen just nailed that whole talk right on the head. And then we went into singing that song and it, the kids everywhere were just crying. The counselors were crying it was it was just an incredibly moving shared experience. And I'll never forget that. I think it was two days after that was the concert. So we were all standing on the Ford Hall stage and we decided to not use risers. So everybody was just kind of scattered uh, on the stage and it was just this beautiful, homogenous sound, which works great for that piece. But um, I remember I was standing at the back and as we were singing it, we were coming close to the end. And all of a sudden there was like this train of hands that reached out and everybody just started holding hands, again, totally organically. And if you, if you know high schoolers, you know how difficult it is to get high schoolers to hold hands. <laughs>
0: Uh, nigh impossible
3: it, it, exactly, exactly so it, it just happened so organically and when the song was over there was like a little squeeze, everybody let go and nobody ever really talked about it again it was just kind of one of those moments that stuck with me, I don't know if it stuck with any of these high schoolers, I don't know I, I feel like hopefully some of them remember but it's, it's moments like those that are so small um, but can have such a massive impact on you long term as, as you always go back to remembering that
4: and I'm not sure you guys are around for this, but uh, The Choir last year performed Considering Matthew Shepard. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that work at all, but it has to deal with, um, uh, like, it's, it, it deals with, I'm not sure if you guys know the, the Laramie Project. It's also sort of clue related in that way, too. There's, a, uh, there's a, gay, a gay man who was killed due to, just due to his gender and due to um, just being outcasted. And, um, it, it just like when I, when I left that performance, I was shook. I didn't really look the, the same way at music before. And I had felt an out of body experience feeling that there was just sort of more than music could lend to then just, you know, music had in that sense. And I think Craig Heller Johnson did a great job with that. And I think he did a great job with this one too. Um, I, I can totally do a whole podcast on, uh, his music because I think it's groundbreaking and beautiful. Um, But I do want to move on and I want to give Hunter the chance to talk about something a little more lighthearted.
0: Well, you know, it's important to talk about those things. And that's one of the reasons people make music is often to talk about difficult subjects, but on a more lighthearted matter here, um, the next song is give my regards to Davey from the Cornell university band. Um, And for those who can't see the, they're laughing uh, specifically, Michael, Um, an interesting choice. And I'm, Fairly certain most audiences probably aren't familiar with it. Um, Explain what the song is, either one of you, and uh, why did you choose it? What's the connection to the song, I assume, with a story, hence the laughing?
3: Always, always a story here. Uh, A couple years ago, Mike and I were hired as ringers to go play with the Cornell University Wind Ensemble uh, during their commencement weekend. So we played a couple gigs with them across the span of uh, like three days, basically. Um, and as part of Cornell's history, they have what they refer to as the Cornell songs, and that includes kind of their alma, alma mater, their fight song, and just kind of these songs that have become a part of their history. And one of them is Give My Recards to Davey, and uh, it's <laughs> it's just a really fun song with weird lyrics and the first time mike and i tried to do it we were like stumbling through the lyrics and all the kids around us who are all these super smart cornell engineers and doctors and politicians who are going to change the world are just like <laughs> screaming these lyrics like so excited and we're like just trying to keep up getting all the words um but it was just a really fun experience and we felt like real cornellians for a couple days uh but yeah we, we had a great time doing that and really got to know that song very well because we get to the end of like every single show and someone was always like oh let's do the cornell songs and the conductor would be like okay let's do the cornell songs and everyone was like yeah but honestly I, I think we we became the most excited for it by the end so mike i'll let you fill that in because mike mike loves those songs a little more than i do
2: oh yeah i mean uh so we, we had that opportunity to go and and play with cornell and, and we went to ithaca college which is a great school for music um but not a great school for like football. Um, There's (laughs) one real football game a year and it's Cortica. And that's not really even that real. Um, So being at Cornell in 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 an atmosphere where the audience probably actually has an impact on, on what happens in, in sporting games, like, like other big schools, like the university of Michigan, you know, that crowd is an extra person on a team. Um, it, it was unreal. It was the, the pride that people felt on their school and, and screamed was so exciting. And, and like Michael said, it felt like we were Cornellians in that experience. Obviously we weren't, um, but you know, I, I definitely didn't have the grades to go to Cornell, but um, still an amazing experience. And I think uh, the most exciting thing was, was the commencement speakers that actually spoke when Michael and I did it together a few years back, it was James Franco, I believe. Huh which super cool, he actually gave a very serious, not comedic speech whatsoever, like very um, solemn in the way he spoke, which I, I didn't expect. And then the year after um, I I did it and Michael wasn't in town. I don't think he was, he might've actually been in Austria at the time, but um, uh, it was Joe Biden as the commencement speaker, which was super cool. So um, profile, and his speech- yeah. Right. And his speech was filled with comedy, which I didn't expect. I thought that was going to be the more serious one. So it's funny that Cornell, you know, was able to draw people like that. And Ithaca, you know, it's a smaller school. It's more specialized. Doesn't draw guests as profound all the time. Um, but uh, that's that's why it was, I mean, Cornell's, it, it's a powerhouse. So it was cool to be a part of that powerhouse, even in a, in a small regard. And we got our picture taken with James Franco, I'm pretty sure. Uh I can't be seen in it because I'm too small, but other people can
0: <laughs> well, that's that's cool I mean you yeah, know it's probably it's probably not freeing well, it could be a little bit freeing to not be in your element to be able to like be with other people who are part of a different environment. It's probably very eye opening um I have this really bad image when you said about like Ithaca and football. I have this funny image in my head of like a bunch of very thin football players carrying like clarinets and throwing them like javelins, you know, down the field. I don't know, it's stupid. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I don't make myself laugh. Um, so, the next song that you chose uh, it has a surprising sports connection to it, um, but it was Home by Philip Phillips and uh, it was released in 2012, part of his uh, The World from the Side of the Moon album. And uh, why'd you guys choose it? I'll let Mike
3: take this one. This is this is kind of his bread and butter song when it comes to our medleys. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: it this was our one of the last songs we did on our last medley in in Ithaca. Um, I will say, you know, our, our tradition is to do a medley every year in a counselor showcase at the Summer Music Academy. That's been our thing, uh-huh. and um, we've done more since then. And very thankful to technology for for making that be a possibility um and also on some visits we've thrown some stuff together but our last summer music academy uh medley and and probably the last one we'll ever get to do there uh that's so ridiculous and absurd um involved home by philip phillips and it it was important to do that i think because um it was our swan song so to speak as michael Mm -hmm. would say you know we were on our way out of there we never told everyone that we were not coming back next year. Some people kind of knew some people kind of figured based upon some opportunities we had coming up, but, uh, it's the song home by Philip Phillips, you know, to me may have a different meaning than Michael. And maybe Michael understands that now in Michigan, but, um, I'm from Albany, New York, and I moved to Ithaca for college. And I do feel like Ithaca is is a second home to me. So um, that's where that song is powerful to me. And Michael you know, grew up in Ithaca and then went to Ithaca. So that wasn't much of a change, but I now see in how much he loves uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, that you know he's probably created that second home for himself and now experiences what it's like to move away and make another place your own. So um, for me, it was home was leaving Ithaca, And going back to where I'm from, where I got a teaching job, thank the Lord. I mean, I'm very happy about that. Congrats! Thank you. Thank you. Um, Very successful. Very, very strong and awesome. But Mm -hmm. um, I had to leave that second home that I made, uh, which which was really hard to do. So I I love going back and visiting. And whenever I do, I always feel like I can call that place a second home. Mm
0: -hmm. And Michael, would you say that you... Do feel that same experience being at the University University of Michigan? A thousand percent. I mean, I, I have
3: just over a week left here, and it's it's been a very, uh, very nostalgic experience. I've just kind of been walking around campus, going to my favorite restaurants, going to my favorite spots, and just kind of remembering. And I was only here for half the time too. That Mike was in Ithaca, um, but like so much has been jam packed into those two years, um, and I'm I'm very very sad to say goodbye to it and i i hope that i have an opportunity to come back here in a in a more professional capacity someday um, but yeah it's become a, a very special place to me and so i i definitely didn't have quite the same feeling in ithaca just because it was what i had always known and i didn't really have to create that environment for myself when i first arrived on campus as a freshman. But here, that's exactly what I did. I didn't know a single person when I came here. And so to kind of have to build that and see what it's become to me now is very special. Uh,
0: so I, I definitely, that song resonates with me a lot more now. Mm-hmm, and, and I think that's part of what's appealing about the actual song itself, is it does convey that sense of nostalgia, You know, just in the, the writing of the music, which you know it's got that, that country feel to it. And I think that's often a part of country. I mean, I'm not a big country fan, but I do happen to like this song because it is poppy as well um but the song i don't know if you guys remember but it back in 2012 when it came out uh it sort of became one of the anthems of the olympics that year and that and call me maybe which became famous because the u.s swim team did that video with the plane when they were doing the you know video up there um but you know it because it has that sense of nostalgia i feel like it's spoke to a really massive audience because it was popular already um, and then you add it to that and it was like it just in my opinion very profound but that's very cool I'm, I, it's nice that you guys have been able to find somewhere that you uh, maybe didn't know you were going to feel that way about it because I'm sure it was nerve-wracking at first but eventually came to and clearly you know you got something else which you find in the home which is friendship between the two of you It's also nice and that's my profound statement for the day. Um, speaking on to less profound matters of the song, although I suppose it's still related to your second home, uh, Mike. Uh, Sean, your next song?
4: So now we're going to talk about Ithaca Forever. Uh, it is the Ithaca Alma Mater song. Um, so I got to mention this to you guys. When I think about this song, I am blessed by so many memories by being with you guys. Um, Mike, the memory of us uh, doing our cat duet for my grad recital (laughs) in two rehearsals, which is crazy. Um, And Michael, getting to spend time with you and working with you in jazz ensemble. Um, Because I feel like we at this we maybe we were unlucky to not be around each other at the same time, but also see each other, I think, sometimes but I want to say it is so refreshing to have friends outside of school like you guys, cause you guys have always made it worthwhile for me um, and made it special for me to go back and uh, cherish those memories. So to sort of bring that all into a nutshell, what's special about this song for you guys?
3: Let's start with Michael this time. I, I think that uh the main reason we put this on the list is just because that kind of was where our friendship began, and it kind of encapsulates all those four years that we had together. Um, I mean, go back to Deal Diamond, where it began. You know, that's that's where it was for us, and we we also have great memories of the song itself. Actually, performing it at commencement eve together. Um, with that great Dana Wilson arrangement with, you know, all the stages around the commencement uh, or around the A&E Center, getting to do all that together was very cool. And actually shout out to the class of 2020. They released their video yesterday of both current students and alumni uh, doing that arrangement. It just sounded phenomenal. So great work to all of them. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's obviously everybody kind of talks about their uh, undergrad experience generally very positively um and so sorry i'm getting a call um so to to get those experiences together and kind of remember them all because of the alma mater um is just a very cool thing for us i think
2: uh mike yeah um for me you know sean here's a memory of me and you that uh makes this one kind of special for me i i played um I think I did it three times, uh, playing with the jazz ensemble at commencement eve. Um, And I was a sub for two of them. The first two times, uh, the fourth trumpet player or the third trumpet player had to go do something else and couldn't be at the concert. So I just jumped in and filled in and I played the ba 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 ba, which was essentially the whole part. Um, And maybe I jumped in on the jazz tune too. It was always something very easy, you know, a third, fourth part. Um, But my last year, my senior year, I was involved in commencement Eve in a brass quintet with Michael uh, on stage. And we played some Bernstein hits from West Side Story. Um, But I remember you asked Mike Teitelbaum if I could come play with the jazz ensemble uh, in Ithaca forever. And like, there was no reason it needed to happen. Um, And at the time I was like, Oh gosh, like it made me nervous. I was like, Oh gosh, Mike, Mike might say no, but Mike was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. I don't care. Um, Because he's Mike, you know, and he's the man. And I, I went and joined in with you guys and uh, even in the rehearsal, I didn't understand like the magnitude of that. But being able to play Ithaca Forever in my senior year uh, under those lights—it was just—it was just absurd, you know. And I always uh, Facebook lived uh, those performances. And there's one on my Facebook. I just watched it the other day, Sean. That me and you were together and we're rocking back and forth and we're we're singing the words to Ithaca Forever. And that's a uh, that's an unreal feeling being able to. Uh, Sing those words and and mean them and and mean them with pride for your school that you that you truly do love you know because I I really do love Ithaca I think it's a, an amazing place and um, I'm sure another place would have been fantastic to you, but I am glad that I went there and and had that unique experience. Me too.
4: And I have a lot to be thankful for for you guys you know and because uh, especially for me I can mention this to you guys you guys know me pretty well I mean I was pretty shy when I started and I didn't want to you know get out of that shell. And then I think when I met you guys, I started to get out that shell. Cause I knew that if I wanted to be my, my real self, I was able to be myself. And I think you guys helped me get out of that shell. So I wanted to thank you for that and thank you for your beautiful playlist. I think it was a great sentiment to your friendship and the great time that you had at Ithaca college together. Um, we are going to take a break, but when we come back, um, Mike and Michael are going to a battle, to find out who knows more general music knowledge. So you don't want to miss that and we'll be right back. And we're back with my friends, Mike and Michael, and we are going to take, take them on on this general music trivia challenge. So I'll ask each one of them questions and see who knows more. Mike, this first question is for you. Who was the first country artist to sell over 10 million copies of an album?
2: Oh, Sean, that's a great question for me. I love country music. I listen to it often. Uh, I'm gonna go with, all right. I'm thinking either, you know what? I'm just gonna hit Johnny Cash.
4: Close, close. Um, Michael, you want to try?
3: Oh man. I don't know if you consider him country, but I'd say Bruce Springsteen. No. The
4: answer was Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks. Yeah, that was my second guess. Ah,
2: uh, he means nothing to me, and you could tell him I said that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're like he's trash.
4: All right. Okay. Here we go. Here's the next question, Michael. This one's for you. What studio did the Beatles use to record 191
3: songs? <laughs> I can definitively say that I have no clue. You don't. You don't even want to try. I don't think I could even name you the name of a recording studio. Okay.
4: All right. Uh, Michael. Mike. Mike. Mike, you have an idea.
2: Is it EMI recording studios?
4: No. I'll give you no. both a clue. Whoever comes up first, it is the name of a road.
2: Abbey Road. Abbey Road. Sorry. It is correct.
4: I, you know, yeah, so. I, I almost,
3: I almost said Avro to start, but I was like, oh, "That's the name of That's the name of like," I didn't want to sound stupid. You know, I'm on a, <laughs> like a this huge podcast. I don't want to make a fool of myself in front of millions.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
3: Oh yeah, totally. Um. Uh. Mike, here we go. Uh. What
4: Michael Jackson album is the second best selling album ever?
3: Did you say the second best yes this is a
2: question for me isn't it
3: yes mike yeah yeah
2: all right just making sure you know didn't want someone to speak out of turn um <laughs> is it thriller
4: that is correct oh. it is thriller. all right moving on mike this michael this question is for you what elton john song is the best-selling single in history
2: Oh, man.
3: Is it Rocket Man? No. I'll give you two more guesses. I got to think of Elton John songs. Mike, do you know?
2: I'm thinking, man. I'm not sure. Oh, how about Tiny Dancer?
4: No. Oh. Do you guys know the song that was parodied in Parks and Recreation? Oh, um. That Andy wrote?
2: Little Seb- bye bye, Little Sebastian. Or what does song? he
4: call that? What does he call that song? I don't know. So, the end of that, you were going to sing Your One Million Candles in the Wind.
2: Is that the song? Candles in the Wind. Candles in yeah. the Wind. He oh, yeah. wasn't going to get there. No way.
0: All right. Here we go. Here's the last wow, that's question. That's the biggest. That's the biggest single.
4: That is his best-selling single in history. Um, here is the last song. Here's it for both of you. What singer fronted the Black Eyed Peas and released her album The Duchess
3: in 2000 Fergie. 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 Fergie said it first. Fergie. I said it first, so that's fine.
2: Doesn't matter. I know it. I know it better. You're,
3: you are nothing to me. Okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> all right guys thank you for being on the show is there anything you guys want to talk about before we get going here
2: who won uh
4: that's i mean I, i'm, I'm like, i'll say you won <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah that thank
4: works I, that. he doesn't need thing. that
3: he doesn't need <laughs> that <laughs> uh
4: is there anything you guys want to talk about before we get going here
2: Same. um plugging. A shameless plug to Michael Stern who's going to get a master's degree in conducting from Ithaca College this coming that is, fall. That is
0: correct. Very exciting.
3: That's the only thing to do when you have four, four music degrees, you go get a fifth.
0: <laughs> Spoken like a true academic.
3: <laughs> no, Sean, thank you so much and Hunter too. Thank you guys so much for having us on the show. It's been a blast. Uh, people kind of get sick of uh, Mike and me talk about ourselves so it's been nice to get to do that for a little while.
0: <laughs>
2: what well, a pleasure to have you on. Yeah. Thank you so much guys. It's it's been fun. It's always fun to collaborate with you, Sean and uh Hunter for the first time. It's been a pleasure and uh hopefully we'll we'll chat again soon.
4: Yeah. Uh if Thank you me. guys have any ideas for deep dives that you guys want to get into together, let me know. Uh we're definitely
3: headed down that road. Sweet. All right. We we love a good deep dive. Alright, see you guys later See you guys
1: yeah. Thank you Michael and Mike and you from listening to Music Speaks a podcast for lovers of music everywhere
0: Next week we will have Emily Benigno on the show to discuss her love of violin and the influence of the Suzuki teaching method
1: I'm Sean Nurmconis
0: And I'm Hunter Sagona and keep listening to what you love.